All right, so these videos, uh, Miss Liz, who's our early childhood director over in Kid Zone, has been using these videos a lot. Uh, our do- our two-year-old daughter, Athelia, loves them. We'll like get done with them, and then she's like, more, more, more. She just wants to watch them. Frankly, I find them hysterical, like, oh, hey. Um, so I love them. Uh, if you didn't put two and two together, I'm going to be diving into the story of Zacchaeus. So if you got your Bibles, uh, your iPads, your phones, whatever, turn to Luke chapter 19 as we're going to explore this interaction Jesus has with a man named Zacchaeus. My name is Shea Bogear. If we haven't met, I'm the student ministries pastor here along with Mr. Ben Jagger. Um, And uh, so I'm so thankful to meet you this morning if we haven't met before. Um, And we are in the middle of our Green Lit series as we're exploring these topics to make us aware as the church, as the body of Christ, that there are different things that have been left to uh, either the uh, ultra gifted or the staff of churches. But these are things that we are discussing today to make us aware that like we each and all need to live out these things that we're talking about today. Um, And so we're in the middle of the series week three as we get ready to jump into uh, this story with Zacchaeus. But would you pray with me first? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this time together. That I ask that you would open hearts and minds and ears to your truth and your word, to what you wanna say to each and every one of us. And I believe that it could be slightly different or that you have a different truth for each of us to walk away with depending on what your word speaks and calls out in us today whether it's a confession of sin, whether it's a recognition of our motives, whether it's a challenge and an encouragement to be different, to be more and more like you. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us today. We love you, Father. We give you all that we are and we surrender all that we are. In your holy, awesome name we pray, amen. Uh, I was uh, 10 years old. It was just a few days before my 11th birthday. It was 2002. Yes, I just said I was 10 years old in 2002. I just made some of you feel very, very old, and I'm okay with that. Um, we were snowboarding. We would go snowboarding uh, regularly. Uh, well, I was the only one snowboard. We'd go skiing and snowboarding. Uh, we grew up, I grew up in Sacramento, California, so it was about an hour 15, hour 45 drive, depending on the resort you wanted to go to in Lake Tahoe and the surrounding area. So we'd go up a couple times a year, and this was, I think it was like my second time, maybe my third time snowboarding because we learned to ski at a young age and I switched over to snowboarding because I thought it was cooler. Um, And uh, I I still snowboard. Well, it's been years. That's a lie. I still want to go snowboarding, um, but the highest elevation in Michigan is like 1900. Okay. That's like, that's a bunny hill. Anyways. um, But uh, I, uh, I I love to snowboard. So we're up snowboarding um, and skiing with our family. And um, uh, my sister and I decide to race. Now, I'm naturally a competitive fella myself, okay? I don't like to lose. That's just who I am. I've gotten better. I don't usually flip over board games anymore. I've simmered down some in my, in my uh, many years of age of experience. But um, I, uh, I, I'm a competitive guy, and you don't lose to your little sister. I mean, let's be real. O- older brothers in the room, you don't lose to your little sister in a race. It just doesn't happen. You can't allow that. So we're standing atop this huge, ginormous uh, bunny hill, 
and um, we start to go. And when you are like, if you're a skier or snowboarder, you know, man, when you're weaving back and forth and you're carving well, it's, it is like poetry. It is smooth. It's enjoyable. I wasn't going to lose. So I was not doing any of that. My board was pointed straight towards the bottom of the hill and I was flying, absolutely destroying my sister. Um, but then I catch a, some sort of like a patch of ice or some sort of packed snow, you know, you know this, you've done this and down I go and I start to, to roll down the hill a little bit. I pop up like I'm, I'm on my knees, but I pop my head up and I start screaming. It's broken. It's broken. It's broken. Like I know right away I broke something. My sister finally gets down to me because I was so far ahead of her. Um, she finally gets to me. I'm screaming. So she's like, uh, okay. And then she goes down the rest of the way. She goes, gets my parents. My, my grandparents were there this time. And uh, I can still picture my grandpa walking up the hill, like trying to come and get me. Cause I was about two thirds of the way down the hill or so. Um, and uh, my dad's kind of just like walking behind him with his hands in his pockets. He was the classic, don't over-exaggerate, rub some dirt in it, you'll be fine. Um, so we go to like the first aid tent, the first aid booth thing that they have at the resort. And um, we show up and the guy looks at it and looks at my dad and goes, it actually, it looks pretty bad. So my dad's like, Sorry, um, but uh, we, uh, so he throws a splint on it and he's like, there's a, there's a hospital. I mean, I use the term loosely. There's a hospital house sort of thing um, down the road you can take him to. Um, so my dad's like, okay, cool. So we go there and it is, it's a house converted into a doctor's office hospital style. We walk in there, doctor sees us. He takes us in the back room. I don't know if it was a living room, whatever. Now it's the x-ray room. Um, so he takes us back there, takes x-rays, sure enough, clean break all the way across the wrist. So he looks at my dad and he says, here's, here's what we can do. I can splint it up for you. You can go back down the mountain. You can go see, you know, your physician, your people, they can take care of it from there. But he said, honestly, I'd like to take care of it. Like I want to take care of, of the situation. I want to take care of your son. I want to handle this. I, I believe I know what's best and I can put it, uh, I can realign the wrist correctly. Turns out he was actually uh, kind of world renowned in the Olympic uh, skiers and snowboarders. He had worked on many of them. So turns out he knew what he was talking about. So my dad's like, sure, yeah, let's just take care of it now, align the wrists, and then we'll get a cast later. So the doctor says, cool. Looks right at my dad and says, dad, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pin your son to the table. This is like one of those moments where you hear something, but you're like, I know I didn't hear that correctly, right? You're like, so my dad's like, uh, excuse me, say what? He's like, I need you, this is going to hurt. And I, so I need you to hold your son down while I align the bone. So my dad's like, cool. Um, so here I am pinned to the table, no joke. I'm pinned down. I don't remember how it felt. All I know is I screamed a lot. My arms out here, the doctor, no, he takes, he takes my wrist. He grabs my wrist as my dad's pinning me to the table. He throws it against his thigh. Modern medicine, this is the best we got? You're just gonna chuck my wrist against your thigh? Apparently that was supposed to knock the bone back in place. I don't know. So anyways, we get it, we get done. We go back to the x-ray room. He comes back out. We didn't get it quite right. Dad, I need you to pin your son back down to the table. I gotta try again. So boom, back down the table. Grabs my wrist, throws it against his thigh. Didn't work the first time. I don't know what you're thinking, doc. Go back, take x-ray, walks out, boom. Still didn't quite get it. Dad, for a third time, I need you to hold your son down. I need you to look him in the eye as he's screaming and keep him in place. 
So my dad holds me down, doctor grabs it, throws my arm against his thigh one last time, and we finally get it right. Now my wrist is actually stronger than my right wrist because of the way it healed, it's all good, but um, you're probably asking yourself at this point, what in the world does you breaking your wrist and Zacchaeus have it to do in common? They both have to do with hospitality. You see, you, you, maybe you never thought about this. I'm sure you'll get there very quickly. Hospitality and hospital both come from the same Latin root word, hospitalis. Now, it's a good thing Latin's a dead language because you don't know if I pronounce that correctly, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but they both come from the same root word, hospitalis. Now, as we look at scripture and we understand hospitality, I wanna make one clear distinction this morning that often we think of hospitality as the hostess with the mostess, right? Like that's kind of the phrase that goes along with hospitality, right? It's you have a group of friends over, it's like one of those situations you walk into their house and their whole house smells like dinner. The moment you walk in, you're like, yes, let's eat, right? And they like, they take care of you. They got the food, they got, they, they, they've planned for all of the extra things that could come up. And so, um, you know, they're just, they're taking care of you. But that is taking care of your friends when they come over. Okay, that's, that's not the, and that's our version of hospitality, sure, but that is not the biblical understanding of hospitality. So I want to explore this a little further with you because when we see 1 Peter 4 and 9, where it says, uh, let me read it, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling is kind of key, okay? Without grumbling. Romans 12, 13 says, practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. As we dive into these words of hospitality, we have to understand that it is understood as showing love to strangers and being generous to guests. And when he uses the word guests, it's not talking about like, again, having your friends over to your house and we call them your guests. No, it's talking about like guests that are new in a place that, that maybe you're at. So somebody new to impact and you're here and, and they're a guest in this place, but you don't know them, right? It's this idea of love of strangers, not just hanging out with your friends. Now is hanging out with your friends and being generous to your friends when they come over a bad thing? Absolutely not. Community's great. Breaking bread together is amazing. But I, I just want us to be operating with the correct definition of hospitality as we move forward this morning. Now, one more distinction I want to make. I want to push it a little bit farther. Rather than like the physical aspects of hospitality that we often talk about, today I actually want to talk about the difference between emotional hospitality versus emotional hostility. Emotional hospitality versus emotional hostility. Now you might think hostility is a strong word. I don't think I'm a hostile person. Okay, maybe not, maybe not aggressive. But when you see somebody who you can tell you disagree with, do you begin to distance yourself from them emotionally? Do you begin to create space and think I'll never agree or they can't? Let me give you an example. You're walking somewhere and you see uh, a couple and they're dressed to the nines, they're Ken and Barbie and they get in their Austin Martin to go to dinner. Right? There's this automatic, like, they can't relate to me. They have no idea what it's like. Distance. When I was in high school, uh, the emo 
scene was uh, pretty big, right? The, the kids that dress up in all black, hair kind of swooped over one eye, right? Like, well, they, they just listen to screamo music and think college should be free for everyone. So I can't agree with them on anything. We pigeonhole, we put in a corner. Somebody shares a post on Facebook, right? One of your friends shares a post from somebody you don't know. But based off one sentence, you've categorized them and painted with broad strokes and said they fit in this category in my mind. And therefore, we'll, we, could never, we could never have a relationship because we would just always disagree on everything. Are you emotionally hostile, emotionally distant, or are we going to be emotionally hospitable to those around us? And the story of Zacchaeus, I think, is such an incredible case study for us to, to dive into this idea of emotional hospitality this morning. And, and I'm going to explain why here in a little bit, but I want to share the story of a, of a young man named D.L. Moody. Now, many of you have probably heard of Moody Bible College in Chicago. It was named after D.L. Moody. That's right. Now, D.L. Moody was a punk kid. When he was younger, he wanted nothing to do with church. Even when he came to faith at 15, his family like rejected his faith. They're like, we don't want you to have any faith. We don't want you to, to mess with that. Um, they kind of rejected the whole premise. Um, but uh, so as a young kid, he, he was kind of this, this, just this punk kid who wanted nothing to do with church. And it actually story goes, legend goes that he pulled a prank on a shoe store owner. And afterwards, uh, somebody saw D.L. Moody running down the street with a shoe store owner chasing him with a knife. Like, I love a good prank, but if somebody's chasing you with a knife afterward, you cross the line, bro. Like, come on now. Um, but so he, he's just this punk kid, right? But he wanted to be a shoe salesman. And so his uncle took him under his wing and said, you can apprentice under me. And so his uncle takes him under as an apprentice, but he said, one rule, you have to go to church with me. You have to go to church. That's my rule. If you're an apprentice, you have to go to church. And so uh, he takes him to church. And there's another man by the name of uh, Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was the Sunday school teacher at the church that D.L. Moody was at. Now, as we think about this, these two concepts of emotional hospitality versus emotional hostility, you have this punk kid come into Sunday school and they give off every vibe that they don't want to be there. They're disengaged, maybe even disruptive. And it, how easy could it have been for Edward Kimball to be like, okay, I'm just, I'm not even gonna waste my time. You're just here doing time like it's prison. So I'll just do your thing. I'm going to pay attention to the other kids and just whatever, we'll move forward with life. That's so easy to do. But Edward Kimball was emotionally hospitable to D.L. Moody. He reached out and he was generous to this young man to say, look, I'm going to put my emotions on the line and I don't care if you reject me, it doesn't matter, but I'm going to be emotionally generous to you and pursue you in a relationship. So much so, Edward Kimball goes to the shoe shop where D.L. Moody was uh, apprenticing and he shares Jesus with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody comes to know Jesus, drastically changes the life of D.L. Moody at that moment. And therefore it is estimated that roughly 1 million people have professed faith in Jesus through the ministry of D.L. Moody. Yes. But there's, a, there's another man named Edward Kimball behind the story who emotionally was hospitable to this young boy. And this, this is why I believe this concept of emotional hospitality is so important. It's because I believe, not always, but I believe that it can lead to introducing people to Jesus and therefore life transformation. Because when you're emotionally hostile to somebody, they don't want anything to do with you. 
But we see Jesus in the story of Zacchaeus, emotionally hospitable and enter into a conversation with a man who had been outcasted by his own society, his own peers. Tax collectors were Jewish men and they uh, were seen as traitors because now they're taking taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters for the Roman government. As the story, as the video showed, they were often thieves and liars. They took more than what they needed to in order to build up their own wealth. Zacchaeus was this man. And there, there are four steps that I wanna explore with you this morning that I believe help us in being emotionally hospitable to those around us. There's four things that we can derive from just verse five, Luke 19, verse five. But before I actually get there, there's one more thing I want you to be aware of. And that is that this is incredibly difficult for me, these four steps. It can be very easy to, to see any one of us up here as pastors and be like, oh man, this just comes naturally to you. Like this is, this is easy. You're just sharing with us what's easy to you and we're supposed to live up to that same level of expectation. You need to know this is incredibly hard for me. And I'm not talking about like loving people, okay? If all you hear today is Shay doesn't love people, you missed the boat entirely, okay? I love people, but it's the introducing myself to somebody I don't know. It's the 20 seconds before that where you're playing the game of like, they look like they don't want me to interrupt their day. I'm really not that cool or a big deal. Like they don't, they don't need to know me. They don't want to know. They don't care about me. Or I don't want to be embarrassed. Like I, it'll be awkward. They'll think I'm awkward. I already have middle school students who think I'm awkward. I don't need more people thinking I'm awkward, right? Like all these, can I get it? Amen. Anybody else feel this? Anybody else play this mental game where it's like, this is really hard. And you need to know over the last four years of us living and working here, I have fought jealousy time and time again of Jason, of Ryan, of John, and even my own wife, Haley, because they are so good at this. Naturally, I have to work for this. I have to fight to be emotionally hospitable to the stranger because it is difficult for me to introduce myself. Like I'm the guy who's standing in my office getting ready to walk out and I'm like, okay, just, just two people. Can you introduce yourself to just two people this service? No, this service, this weekend, between the two services, introduce yourself to just two people, right? Like I have to gin something up and I believe that there's a lot of you in this room who are the same way. So I'm thankful that I'm the one sharing and I hope you hear that this is a discipline that we have to enact. It's not something that just comes easy. In fact, in Romans 12, as Paul's giving this discourse of Christian living and how we should live and the things that we should do, that's where he says, practice hospitality in 12:13. But what I find interesting about this is then he says, right after he says that, he says, and use the gifts that you've been given. Hospitality isn't a set aside gift for a select group of Christ followers. It's not just, I don't have the gift of hospitality, so I don't need to worry about it. That's someone else's gig. We are all supposed to practice hospitality and then use the gifts that he's given you on top of that. So I believe that this is a principle that we all have to uh, enact in our daily lives. That this is something that each and every one of us has to fight to do, even when it does come, doesn't come naturally for us. So let's jump in to the story. Luke 19, five, when Jesus reached the spot, pause, time out. When Jesus reached the spot, that's talking about Jesus is walking and he arrived at his destination. He reached the spot, he stopped. Step one, stop, everyone say stop. stop. 
Oh, come on. I heard the people on the live stream better than I heard you all. Come on, say stop. Stop. We have to stop. We have to stop rushing. We have to stop being so busy. We, We have to stop pretending that we're so busy to feel important. We have to stop the selfishness of our own schedule that when we see somebody who's a stranger, when we see somebody who's a guest in our community, in our neighborhood, when we see those people, we have to stop what we're doing first in order to encounter them rather than just ignoring them and say, I'm gonna keep on doing my own thing because I got places to be and I'm so busy and I have this and I have that. We have to stop. It's the first thing that we have to do. First continues, says, Uh, He looked up, he looked up, he looked, he looked. Second step is we got to look. We got to stop and then we got to look. There's an acronym. I'm going to give the Christian version. Some of y'all are going to laugh because you're going to know what the non-Christian version is, okay? (laughs) I have what I would say is a Christian version is RPF, which is resting punk face, Okay. If you don't know what the non-Christian version is, ask your millennial friends later, they'll tell you, okay? I have resting punk face. This is, this is essentially my, my normal face, like when I'm just thinking about stuff, when I'm driving and nothing's really going on, like I, my eyes are kind of half closed and like I have this like scowl thing. It's just like, almost like this, it just gives off this vibe of like, yeah, he's not excited about life at all. He just, he doesn't care. If I introduce myself to him, he's going to be annoyed and mad. Like, that's kind of my normal demeanor. Some of you have this issue where, like, you're, you don't stop your brain from telling your face how to react, right? <laughs> like, like, you hear something shocking and instantly your face shows that you heard something shocking, right? You got to figure that one out first. But as we talk about this idea of look, my question is, how does my face look to people? How does my face look? Do I look annoyed? Do I look off-putting? Do I look standoffish? Oftentimes I do, RPF, but, um, but I need to work on that because I want to look at people with the same love and care that Jesus did. I want to see people and I want to look at them. I want them to feel like, man, Shay wants to have this conversation with me. He cares about me and, and who I am. And especially now as we have to wear masks in so many of our settings, what do your eyes say? When you look at people in their eyes, what do your eyes say? Your eyes can say so much. Are they constantly like darting around, like you're distracted and you're like, I just want to get out of this conversation. I have a million things to do. Are they looking past the person, almost looking through them? Like, yeah, you're looking at them, but they can tell, yeah, they're thinking, they're somewhere else. They're thinking about bills they got to pay or errands they got to run. Or maybe they're just kind of cold, dead. Right, your eyes are just kind of like, I just, I just want to go home and I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. Or do your eyes communicate this life of, I'm thankful that I'm in this conversation with you. I care about you. And right now, as I'm talking to you, I want you to see the love and the care in my eyes. Now, obviously you don't say that, that's weird, right? You don't walk up to someone and be like, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so thankful that we're having this conversation right now. But do your eyes communicate what your mouth can't? Do you stop what you're doing long enough to see and to look at somebody with the love and care that Jesus does? How are we looking? How are we looking? 
How are we looking? Uh, the verse continues. It says, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. I love this. Zacchaeus never introduced himself. He never introduced himself. Now, Jesus is fully God, right? So obviously he knows his name Zacchaeus, but he never introduces himself, but he intentionally uses this moment to call him by name. He, step three is, do we speak with love and familiarity with people? He speaks to him and calls him by name. Our names are so personal. They're, they're our identity. Now, to be clear, like I need to find my identity in Jesus, okay? But what I'm talking about is to be identified in a group. My name is my identity, yeah. right? There's other 29-year-old male youth pastors out there. And I get, you might say, well, somebody shares my first, middle, and last name. Well, I'm sorry, your name was John James Smith, but um, <laughs> I'm Chafin James Bogear, which means I'm extra unique and special, but that's not the point. The point is our names are identity, right? This is, our, this is how we're identified. And Jesus uses his name to speak with him with love and familiarity. Now you meet a stranger, you don't know their name, but there's a way to talk to somebody like you want to know them. And there's a way to talk to them like you're hostile towards them. Listen, I stop, I see somebody, who are you? Sounds a little more hostile, right? Rather than, hey, I'm sorry, we haven't met. Who, who are you? I'm Shay, I'd love to know you, right? Like you can hear the difference in the tone of voice when you speak with love and familiarity, like you want to know somebody, like you care about them rather than you care about what you're doing and how somebody's interrupting your day, right? Are we speaking to people with this love, this grace and this familiarity that we want to have conversation with them? Are we talking to them in this manner? Are we sharing with them as best as we can? Verse continues, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. We don't do this, right? Like, and frankly, this is rude in our culture, okay? This is rude. I meet you and I say, hey, I'm coming over for dinner, what you making? That's rude. But here's step four, we gotta invite ourselves into their story. You see, even if you don't invite yourself to their house, are you inviting yourself into their story? Because it's so easy for us to say, hey, how's it going, I'm Shay, who are you? Cool, I'll see you later, right? But are we asking the, the next question? Are we asking the follow-up? Are we, are, are we asking about who they are and inviting ourselves in their story? You see them in our community, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's, I haven't seen this parent at this PTA meeting before or, or this, this family at this soccer practice before. Are you engaging and asking, hey, who are you? Like, where'd you come from? When did you move here? Or have you always been here? Your kid's just now old enough to play soccer? Like, are we asking the next question to invite ourselves into their story? Because I guarantee you, because I've experienced it, shared story begins to create a bond. Shared story begins to create a bond. It's easy to hear somebody's name and forget it two days later. But when you have shared experiences, shared story with somebody, it's a lot harder to forget their name. And it begins to create this bond with somebody else where we're inviting ourselves into their story making them feel cared for, loved, and valued. We gotta stop 
We got to look like we care. We've got to, I already forgot step three. That's terrible. We've got to uh, speak. Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't even see it finding my notes. We got to speak with love and familiarity and we got to invite ourselves into their story. And I guarantee you that fourth one, outside of the first introduction, that fourth one's the hardest one. It's the hardest step to take. But, but you have to invite yourself into their story. Begin to, to care about who they are and ask them those questions. Now, here's why, here's why I think this is so important. You see, I believe that Jesus was fully human, fully man. I believe that he raised from the dead, fully man, and he ascended into heaven. Therefore, Jesus is no longer here in physical form. The Holy Spirit's here, but Jesus is no longer here. That means you and I, as the body of Christ, have the responsibility to be the face and the voice of Jesus Christ to the world around us. We have this responsibility because he's not here anymore. He gave it to us to do. He said, greater things will you do than I ever did. But are we actually going to do that? Are we actually going to be the, the, the face, the voice, the eyes of Jesus when we look at somebody? Do we communicate love and care to them? Or are we just going about our day? I was talking with my mentor this last week. His name's Craig. Uh, this last Tuesday, we weren't even talking about this, this sermon, um, but it just, it fits so perfectly. He shared a story with me that when he was in college, he was home for uh, summer in the Flint area, and he had some drinking buddies, and, but wanted to uh, really take his life seriously. He wanted to follow Jesus and take that seriously, and so he, need, he called around to a couple of the churches and was like, hey, you know, uh, do you have a young adult program? And he just called around and asked and asked and asked, because he knew I have to get another group of friends, I have to be in another environment. And he show, found one, he showed up. And one young man stood up from the table where he was sitting, walked over to Craig and said, hey, you need to come sit down with us. And he invited him over. And Craig said, he goes, if he doesn't do that, that's an extremely different summer for me. If he doesn't do that and I get plugged in, I fall back into old habits, old routines. I don't take my faith seriously. All because one man was able to see the emotional hospitality that, that, that was needed in that moment where he got up, he saw Craig, he went over to him, he stopped what he was doing, he looked at Craig and he invited him in. We have to be willing to do the same thing in our stories, in our interactions, in our daily lives. And I wanna be extremely clear, this goes beyond the four walls of the building. I'm not talking about being hospitable just in, in our four walls. And we, we have hospitality teams. We have the frontline team. We have the parking team. We have uh, new connections, info center, common grounds that all these teams, they're surrounded around this idea of being emotionally hospitable to the, to the stranger and to the guests who walk in here. And I'm sure many of you have experienced this. And we have a culture of this here at Impact where we want to be aware of the stranger and the guest, but it's not just here at Impact, it's Impact in our community. Amen. It's us going to our grocery stores and our neighborhoods and our parks and living this out of being emotionally 
generous, emotionally hospitable to those around us? Are we willing to move outside of ourselves for the other person? And if you want to sign up for one of our teams, we would love to have you part of it. Maybe you're like, man, this thing, this stuff comes so naturally to me. We'd love to have you. But maybe you're more like reading Romans 12, 13. You're like, I need to practice hospitality. Like I need some practice. Like we'd love to have you sign up, learn, be a part of the body. But just remember, it can't just stay in these four walls. It goes way beyond these four walls. Now, what that doctor did for my wrist, he was able to set the bone. He was able to do what he could, but he couldn't heal it. He couldn't do that. You see, people walk into our lives because we're all human, we're all broken with broken hearts and broken spirits. We can't heal it. But what that doctor did for my bone, you and I can do for broken hearts and lives. You and I can help set people up in a manner which we can introduce them to the healer who can heal them. Yes. You and I can do that. We can't heal. Don't, think, don't get a savior complex. You can't heal, you can't save, you can't do that. But can you introduce them to the one who can? And I believe that we can do that with, with hearts and with souls and with minds and broken situations and broken relationships that so we can enter into their story. We say, how, how can I help? Where, where can I be invested? Can I, can I introduce you to somebody? Can I help you find something? Maybe it's here. Maybe it's you meet somebody in, in the lobby and it's, can I sit with you? Right? Do, do we do that? Do we offer to sit with people we've never met? I've, I don't think I ever have. But do we offer to sit with them to have this shared story to enter in to say, look, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm here. I want to be a part. I'm invested because I care about you, because I love you. I want to stop. I want to look. I want to speak with love and familiarity. And then I want to invite myself into their story. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we truly seek to glorify and honor you through our words and our actions and our motives. Lord, may you, the only one who can, transform us from the inside out, as Romans 12 says, changing the very nature of who we are internally so that we can be more like you. Thank you for the grace that you have in our lives for when we make mistakes. Thank you for the truth that you call us into. And Lord, we don't have to understand, but we need to obey. Understanding can wait, obedience cannot. And so Father, may we obey and respond and live out our lives like you did, like we witness you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Will you go with us as, as hopefully we are green-lighted to be hospitable, emotionally hospitable at work, on social media, in our churches, at our grocery stores. We love you, Father, and we surrender all that we are to you. In your holy, awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all are dismissed. Thanks for being here.